You ever have a really long day and you're just wiped out and it's just like, what? Oh man, you're tired. You're sore. Maybe you're grumpy. Um, it just exhausts you, doesn't it? Well, this morning we're going to look at Jesus when he first calls four of who will become the 12 to follow him and not just come and see and follow me, but follow me, he says, and I'll make you become fishers of men. I'll make you in to ministers of the gospel. I'll, I'll help you transform. I'll train you up. I'll teach you what it means to live a life of ministry that I'm calling you to. If you'll come and follow me. And then immediately that same week, I think potentially even the next day, uh, Jesus takes them and shows them right away, straight away, here's what it's going to be like. And they spend an exhausting day together. That's where we're headed this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 14. Uh, Before we do, though, I'm going to pray. And then we'll jump into Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for, uh, again, as we've sung and as uh, I've prayed already, his example to us, his, his authority and sovereignty over, over all things, including the call that you have on my life, that uh, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a slave to righteousness and I'm in Christ, created for good works, created to serve and uh, to do ministry and to honor him as one of your children. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you'd fill me, that you'd speak to me and through me from your word. Uh, I pray also against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects and the ways that uh, he would come in and uh, accuse us, tempt us, lie to us, um, try to sow discord among us. I I pray that you'd ban him uh, from being here this morning and instead work mightily through us, Holy Spirit in such a way that that Jesus would be greatly honored and that we would be changed to be more and more like him. Uh, Father, we look forward to a good morning. And I pray all this through your son, Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 1. Before we dive into the word, we're going to be in verse 14. Let's just review a little bit where we've been. We've been studying Jesus' life and ministry for months now. And uh, we've got a long time yet to go as we get through it. But really so far, the only thing we've looked at is... A handful of passages that describe the first year and a half of his ministry. Even though we don't know much about that time, some of the things we do know is that Jesus spent a ton of time during this period, this foundational period, pouring into men who had become his disciples. He spent life with them. He went to a wedding with them. He turned water into wine before them. He went and worshiped with them. They go to Jerusalem for the Passover together. And while they're there, he overturns the tables and uh, he causes all kinds of trouble and And they go out and then he starts doing ministry slowly with them and they baptize under his instruction and then they leave and they go up through Samaria and they see Jesus reach out to and love unlovable people in the Samaritans. And then they go up and they go, they travel, they're traveling back north to Galilee and they go through Jesus' hometown of Nazareth as Rock preached last week and you see Jesus rejected by his own people. But at the same time, you see all of his full authority as God on this earth, as Savior, as Messiah. And now there's, in between all of that time, there's a gap to some extent. Because what we know then is, 
We get to verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. And it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I believe this takes place about a year and a half, a year to 18 months into Jesus' ministry. Is the first time he takes over John's message and says what? says, repent. Up until this time, the call that he had made to people was simply, come and see. Follow me. Come, why don't you come and see who I am? Come, come, just come check it out. Listen, loved ones, that's the initial phase for us. If you want to reach out to your friends who don't know Jesus, the first call, the first call Jesus made to those who didn't know him, the first call you make is, well, why don't you come and see? Come and see my life. See if you see Jesus and me. D.L. Moody said, I believe it was D.L. Moody, you know, the only Bible that people will read, that most people will read is you. <laughs> That's the only Bible they're ever going to open is looking at your life. That's scary, isn't it? But it's true. So come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. And after they've seen for why don't you follow him? Why don't you... Why don't you follow him? And, and we get to a point now where after they've been following Jesus, they've spent time with him for over a year. Jesus sees them in their profession. Well, here, let me read it to you. And he, he gives a second call to them. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They had met a little over a year earlier uh, after John the Baptist says, Behold, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And some of them began following Jesus and spending time with him. And now you fast forward and Jesus is passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And he sees these two guys with, out on the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They're going, oh, this sounds similar to the last call that Jesus made on their life in John where Jesus says to follow me. But if you look at that, it's in a totally different geographic place. It's a different context. This is a different call where Jesus calls them now not just to follow him, but follow him and fish for men. See, the curious thing what Jesus does is he sees guys who are fishermen and he says, hey, you, you really want to catch something? Why don't you come with me and we'll catch we'll, we'll We'll, we'll, we'll recruit men. You'll see men and women's lives changed. Fish for people is what he's saying. Not just fish. You're casting your nets into the sea, which by the way, for them as Jewish, uh, Jewish young men, they would have understood. There was an understanding among the Jewish people, or, or maybe, I don't know if you even call it a superstition, whereas the, the depths of the water represented the depth of evil. And you're throwing the nets into the evil, into the depths, and you're pulling out fish from the depths, right? That's why they freak out so much when they're out on the sea and later in Mark chapter 4 and everything's going crazy and Jesus calms the storm. There's a certain sense in which being out in the water is being out into the realm of evil. And they're fishing fish out of evil. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're casting your nets for for fish, how about you cast your nets into the world and you pull out men so that they would be like me and they would follow me and they would be redeemed and changed. Follow me and fish for men. He actually says, I will make you become fishers of men. And look what they do, verse 18. This is the first time we've been in Mark for a while. Do you remember what I said about Mark? Mark is action man gospel writer. Mark is all about just cut to the chase. Here's what happened. 
No time for, for you know, frivolous details. I don't care what color the sky was. I don't care what they were wearing. Here's what happened. That's Mark. And what's he say? He says, immediately. Pay attention to how many times Mark says at once, immediately, and then, right away, straight away. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, when you first read this, if you don't understand the context of all four Gospels together and understand that, that Jesus has already spent up to this point about a year to a year and a half of his life with them, when you read this, you go, wow, these guys are incredible super Christians. They just dropped everything and followed him. And if you want to be a Christian, burn your house down, throw everything away, and follow Jesus, right? Well, no, they had, they had spent time with him. Yeah, it is a high calling to follow Jesus, but it's also they had spent time coming to see and getting to know him and spending life with him. How do you know this? Well, all of those things we described of Jesus spending time with them, in the Gospel of John, it says it happened before John the Baptist was arrested. But this morning we pick up in Mark chapter 1, and this is now after John had been put in prison. And all of these things take place later. And when Jesus goes to them and he sees them on the sea, it's somebody they recognize. And Jesus sees them, and, and they're casting their nets, and, and maybe they hadn't seen him for a few weeks, I don't know. But all of a sudden he goes, hey, what are you fishing for? How about you follow me and I'll make you fish for men. I'll make you a fisher of men. And immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. Why else would they follow him? Because they had already spent time with him. It's like, hey, he's back. Hey, we can go. Yeah, I'll go. I've seen what you've done. I've come and seen and I've followed. And yeah, I want to, I want to be trained for ministry. I want more is basically what they're saying when they just drop everything and follow him. And they keep walking. They go a little farther along the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. Going a little farther, he saw James and Zebedee and John, his brother, who were mending the nets. And immediately he called them. There's the immediately again from Mark. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Again, these are two guys who had already spent tons of time with Jesus, coming to see him, figuring out what his life is about, who he is, what his character is like. It's easy for them to then, okay, I want more. I want more. They're making a step of faith to want more of Jesus, to learn more from him. And so they leave their father and they all went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, this would have happened, maybe it was on a Friday and Sabbath begins Friday at sundown and goes till Saturday sundown. So maybe they spend the rest of Friday together. But then on Saturday, on the Sabbath, they head into Capernaum. But here's, here's the big thing that I want you to get out of just this small part of the passage, this part that sets it up. These are men who had been coming to see who Jesus was. They had spent time with him. They'd spent over a year of their life following him, learning from him. And when Jesus says, hey, do you want more? I, I think it's time for more. Why don't you come and follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for men. I'll teach you how to do ministry. I'll train you is basically what he's saying. And what do they do? They drop their nets and they follow him. The reality is that many people in churches throughout the West, especially, we spend our entire lives going to church, coming to see, learning and learning and learning all these things about Jesus, but we never drop our nets and follow him and actually do ministry. And the sad thing of the church, in my opinion, today is 
is there's this great discipleship in teaching and building up our heads and we're kind of like big bobbleheads walking around. But, but when it comes time, a call to say, Hey, why don't you drop your nets? How about you, uh, you, 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 you drop the laptop, you drop the eight to five job, you drop that part of your vacation, you, you drop that and you follow and do ministry. Boy, it's fun to follow until I have to drop the net, isn't it? But Jesus says, drop your nets. They drop their nets, and and that's my challenge to you. Will you drop your net and follow Jesus? What is it? What area of life is he calling you, if you've trusted Jesus, to let go of that and go, you know what? I'm going to serve him. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get plugged in. Somehow, I know he has more for me, and I want it. And I'm going to drop the net and follow him and become more like him. Rather than just coming to see all the time for all of our lives. What a waste. Do something with it. We're going to see men here. Curiously, two sets of brothers. Do you suppose there was any ever, con- ever any conflict among Jesus' disciples? I mean, he starts with two sets of brothers. You ever been around two brothers? I've got three. You put us in a room, we get along for a while. But then it's just, somebody's got to be right. Somebody's got to have the last word. I, I mean, I, I, Jesus was a brave guy. And, and he calls two sets of brothers with him, and they go and follow him. Well, they, they drop their nets, they follow him. And the next day, I believe probably the next day, in any case, on the Sabbath, whenever it would have been, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. You get to verse 22. He's there teaching at the synagogue. Now, here's what you need to understand about the synagogue in, in this day among the Jewish people. And in, in every small area, wherever there were at least uh, 10 men or 10 families, uh, there could be a synagogue gathered together for worship and for, for teaching of God's word and to understand the law and learn how to live it out and do life together. Basically, they had to have a small group and they could have a synagogue is essentially the way it would work. And there was a, a, a head of the synagogue who basically just oversaw the upkeep of it and those sorts of things. But everybody took turns teaching. And so on this day, for whatever, it's Jesus' turn to teach and he gets up to teach and he's teaching in Capernaum, which would have been a large synagogue. He gets up He starts teaching and look at the people, verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Your translation might say not as the teachers of the law. You ever had a good teacher? Can you think of like your favorite teacher growing up? What was so good about them? Whatever they taught, they made it come alive, didn't they? I mean, there there was something about the way that they taught it. It's like, that's not just dry. That's, man, calculus is so cool. Maybe you never had that guy in calculus, but you might've had him in science or you might've had her for English. You might've had her for something, right? And you had a teacher who just, just made things come alive to you. Or maybe it was a teacher of God's word or a pastor or a, someone who discipled you or whatever it is. And the way that they taught, it wasn't like all the other teachers, And the way that Jesus opens God's word and the way that he teaches, it's not like the teachers of the law. It's not like the scribes who just kind of sit there and rotely go through it. And, yeah, I'll read this. Here's what it means. Isn't that exciting? Have a great week. 
You know, it's not like the scribes. No, this guy taught as one who had authority. I've heard it described this way. He taught as if he actually believed what he's teaching. Like he really, truly believed what it was he was reading from and what it was he was teaching. If you ever have the opportunity to teach God's word, I would challenge you, don't make it boring, but teach it as if you believe it. And not just as if you believe it, but believe it and then teach it. Don't bore people with God's word, right? Don't bore your kids with God's word. Teach them and help them to believe it. Teach as Jesus did. See, but, but more than just that, he taught as one who had authority. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. So imagine the setting. Jesus is here teaching, I don't know how many people, a large group in the synagogue. He's teaching from God's word and everybody's tuned in. Everybody's tracking with him. Everybody's learning. Everybody's amazed at the way he teaches. And, and as he's teaching, suddenly a man with an unclean spirit stands up and calls out. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You know what this tells me? This tells me that the enemy can be working in the midst of the church. Just like he was right here in the midst of the synagogue. I mean, they had the best pastor ever there teaching that day, right? Jesus himself was teaching. And the enemy shows up. The enemy shows up to divide. The enemy shows up to, uh, to accuse, to lie. And he's threatened by Jesus because he has authority. And I believe maybe not even just one demon in this man, but multiple ones. It says, what do you have to do with us? Plural. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He was, he was revealing who he was, thinking that would give him an upper hand over Jesus. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed. They were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority. He's not just going through the reading for the day and, and, you know, telling us what people have thought about this for hundreds of years. He's, he's going through the reading for the day and he's teaching on it and how it affects my life. And he's teaching me how to live it out and what I ought to do. Earlier we read, Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand and to repent, right? He's, he's telling me I need to change my life and get in line with what God would have for me. And, and he's doing it with such authority that I'm compelled to do it. And then did you see what just happened? A man stood up who, who we've, we've seen this guy, he's, he, he's possessed, he's, he's, he's messed up. He, he's, he stands up and Jesus just says, be silent. And, and literally it means he muzzled him and get out of him. And, and even the demons obey him. What kind of a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Verse 28, and at once his fame, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And remember, we've got these four guys. We've got uh, Andrew and Simon and James and John. 
Andrew and Peter, James and John, and they're following Jesus. They've decided to follow him and become fishers of men. And they're with him. And they go to the synagogue together. They hear Jesus teach. They watch these things happen. They're like, I've seen this before. I've seen Jesus. He's powerful. But they're, they're there in the midst of it at the beginning of what's going to be a long day. And one of the things they recognize right away is that Jesus This guy they're following, he has authority over everything spiritual. Jesus has authority over everything spiritual. Everything spiritual, Jesus has authority. Why? Because he's God. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of the universe. It's described like this for us in in Matthew 28. Jesus says himself, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him, highly exalted Jesus. We just sang this. And bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ has authority over everything spiritual. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God's by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he goes on to describe the work of Christ on the cross for us. But you need to understand that Jesus has authority over everything spiritual. And your life, your being is one of, yes, there's a physical aspect to who you are, but there's also a spiritual aspect to who you are. And while your physical body one day will decay and die, spiritually you will live and exist forever. And you will either live and exist under the authority of Jesus with him because you decided to, remember Paul said, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that you'll bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And you can do that either now of your own volition, of your own will, or later under compulsion, recognizing not in, in, in thanksgiving that, yeah, he's God. Yeah, he saved me. He's redeemed me. But later in fear that, oh, he, he's God. I'm doomed. He, he has authority over everything spiritual, but they see more than this. Jesus finishes teaching and Jesus, remember, he lived his life fully as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit is the way he did all the miracles he did, the way he taught at this time. The Holy Spirit would have been moving through him, so they recognized his authority. And I've described this to you before, but I never will really be able to. But Hannah could give you an account for it. On Sundays after I teach, after I'm here on Sunday and I get here early and lead music and then teaching from God's word. I, I'm good. I'm running on adrenaline until about one or two in the afternoon. And then I crash. I'm just, I'm wiped out. It's a long day for me. It, it exhausts me. Stephen would understand this as well too, when he preaches and teaches and Dan, you'll get to experience it soon, but, but it's exhausting. And I don't know how else to describe it. Hannah doesn't let me drive on Sunday afternoons and evenings. She doesn't trust me. So if you see us driving around, if I'm getting chauffeured around, that's why. Jesus had to be exhausted because the Spirit would have worked through him in such a powerful way. 
And he taught with such authority. He's not just teaching. He's, he's casting out demons. I believe at the end of this time, Jesus was, he was ready for a nap. So what's he do? Well, look. Verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon would have been Peter, obviously. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. Luke says they actually went to him and pleaded with him on her behalf when Luke gives the account of what happens here. And they go to, hey, Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She has a really high fever. I know you're tired, but um, could, could you heal her? Could you do something about it? We know that you can. And what does Jesus do? He goes, no, I'm too tired. Go home. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. No. He came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her. And so now he goes. He's probably going home with his friends to rest. And again, there's ministry waiting for him. Again, it's waiting for him. And she got up and she began to serve them. She was healed. And what was her response? To serve and to love and to get plugged in. And in a sense, she dropped her nets and said, I'm going to serve because he's healed me. If Jesus has changed your life, if he's healed you, he's come, you've come to him in saving faith. Be like Peter's mother-in-law and serve. Well, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So imagine, imagine Jesus' day. He gets up, goes to the synagogue. It's his day to teach. Likely their service wasn't, you know, like a a 35, 45 minute sermon like us. It was likely he taught for a long time. And while he's teaching, somebody gets up, distracts the service. And now he's in spiritual warfare. He's casting out a demon and the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. And he probably goes on and continues teaching. And everybody is amazed at this man's teaching. They're amazed at what Jesus has done. And he has to be exhausted by the end of it. So he goes home. And he gets there, and what's waiting for him? More ministry, and he he heals Peter's mother-in-law, which, by the way, just as an aside, some would say Peter was never married. The Bible says he had a mother-in-law. I think he was married. So, I don't know, that's just that's how I understand how you get a mother-in-law, you get married, and you have a mother-in-law. Otherwise, I don't know how you get one. But Peter, his mother-in-law is sick, so, so Jesus goes, he heals her. She gets up and serves, and they spend the rest of the day together. They rest, and then he's got to be, oh, finally, just some, some, I can relax. And they're talking. They're maybe talking about life. Maybe they're talking about what happened that day. Jesus is spending time with them. He's training them. And they say, Jesus, what do we do when something like that happens? And maybe Jesus gives them instruction on, on what to do when something like that rears its head and when the enemy comes against them. And then what happens, though? Remember, when Jesus had done this, his fame began to spread throughout all of Galilee. And they're sitting there, I believe, probably at home. And somebody gets the door. Hey, Jesus, it's for you. And it's not just one guy. It's not just one family. It's not just one neighborhood. Verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, granted, the cities of that day weren't like the cities of our day, but you're still talking a couple hundred to a couple thousand people. Imagine that the next time you answer the door. After a long day, 
And everybody wants something from you. Everybody needs something from you. And that's where Jesus was. He was already exhausted from a day full of ministry, but the whole city was now gathered together at the door. And verse 34, it says, He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Luke tells us he healed everyone who was sick and cast out many demons. But it doesn't say he cast out all demons. It doesn't say that there weren't still illnesses that, that weren't potentially healed. And, and sometimes, this is a hard truth to understand, but sometimes God receives more glory not by healing us, but by leaving us with the, the trouble that we have so that he would be honored, so that we'd depend on him more. That was the case for Paul the Apostle, right? He asked that the thorn in his flesh would be taken away, but God says, what? No, my grace is sufficient for you. you you'll, you'll receive more grace if, or I'll receive more glory if you just depend on my grace, and I'm not going to heal you right now. But one day, one day when Jesus comes back, you'll be with me, and then all of the scars that the world has put on your soul will be removed, and, and you'll be completely whole and made new. And that'll be a great day, won't it? And so keep your eyes on Jesus and, and towards the end game. So I guess I just share that with you. If, if there's something you've been praying about for a long time and God hasn't done it, God hasn't healed, God hasn't, keep your eyes on Jesus. He may yet. But in any case, one day, all of the stains on you, all of the scars of your soul, the way the world has affected, it, it will be made right and you will be made whole. And that's our hope. Amen. But on this night, he heals many who are sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And one of the things they recognize right away here in Jesus is that Jesus has authority not, over, not just over everything spiritual, but everything physical. He not only heals spiritual disease, but he heals their physical disease. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. He, he, he healed those who came to the door who were sick. The Bible describes Jesus' authority over everything physical in this way. Colossians 1 says, starting in verse 15, you can jot this down. He is the image of the invisible God. We sang this already this morning. The firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And later in Mark, you see Jesus' authority over everything physical. We'll get to this in, in a handful of weeks where Jesus is on lake with them, with the 12, right? And the storm comes up, and what does he say? He said to the man spiritually who's possessed by the demon, be silent, be muzzled, get out of him. He says to the storms, to the sea, you can read about it in Mark chapter 4, he says, be still, be silent, enough. And what do they do? Silence. And just like they were amazed at his authority over spiritual things, they're amazed at his authority over physical things. Uh, who is this man teaching with great authority? Even the unclean spirits obey him. And later in Mark, who is this man teaching and, and speaking with such authority? Even the waves and the wind obey him. All of this, loved ones, is because Jesus is God. He has authority over everything. He's sovereign. 
Fully God, fully man. Fully man, he's our example. He's our sacrifice. He's our redeemer. But fully God, he deserves all of our lives. He's fully Lord. And are you willing to drop your nets and follow him? And when you drop your nets and follow him, you're going to be in for some long days. Some long days of ministry, of caring for other people, of things maybe not going the way that you want them to go. Long days of being interrupted in the midst of your own agenda. And it's exhausting. Is it not? I mean, do you feel exhausted just thinking about Jesus' day? I do. I just I feel tired just thinking about it. So what does Jesus do? Remember, we're studying his life and ministry so that we could live lives to be like him, so we could walk as he walked. So what does he do? He, he takes the disciples with him. They see his authority over everything spiritual and physical. And then rising very early in the morning the next day, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. What does Jesus do? He gets away. He's like, you know what? I love these people. I care for them. I got to step away. I have to recharge. And he goes early and he doesn't just, he doesn't run away. He gets away and prays. He gets away and gets direction and communion with his father. There's a difference between just vacation and Sabbath, right? Sabbath is, we've talked about this, Sabbath is when I, I get away and focus all my attention on Jesus and, and I go to him for rest because he says, come to me all you are heavy laden and weary and, and I'll give you rest, right? Vacation is just vacating. I'm out of here. <laughs> Good luck with that, right? No, that's not Jesus. He, he goes to God to be recharged. He goes to God to be refreshed. What do you do at the end of your long day? When you're wiped out. Because this isn't unique just to ministry, is it? This is part of the human experience. This is part of life. All of us have been there. You've gone through life and you've, you've hit the wall. You just, you hit it hard. It's been an extended couple weeks, an extended few months, maybe an extended few years, and you are exhausted. What do you do to rest? Do you run away from it? And go to the next thing, hoping that's behind me. But then get into the same patterns and it's the same story again in a couple years or a couple months or a couple weeks. Or do you do like Jesus where you don't just run from it, but you pull back and you run to the Father. And you run to God. And you find rest in Him and you spend time in prayer and you let Him be the one who restores your soul and makes you new. That's what Jesus does. And the thing here is you must learn, you must learn to rest and connect with Jesus. Loved ones, we have to. We're a small, even if we're just thinking of it in terms of ministry, we're a small church with many people involved in ministry. And it's so easy to get burned out. It's so easy for us to want to try and do everything in the world and get everybody plugged in in ministry and have a thousand ministries and all this would be great until what? In a couple months, everybody's exhausted and I quit. <laughs> and they're burnt out and they're tired. No, you, you need to learn to rest. I need, 
this is the mirror here, right? I need to learn to rest more and connect with Jesus so that I can serve from a place where I'm whole. And you need to do that as well. Jesus does that. He's our example. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, the very next day after a long day, he departed. And it doesn't say he ran away, but he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He sought his father. And here's what's going to happen when you do that. Some people aren't going to understand. Some people aren't going to get it. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They searched for him. They couldn't find him. Most of the time in the Gospels, when you can't find Jesus, do you know where he is? He's praying. Almost every time when they can't find him, he's praying. And finally, they find him and everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? Everyone. You didn't heal everybody. There's more to... What are you doing here? They need you. Martha needs you. Gary needs... Whoever they are, they need you. What are you doing here? Everyone's looking for you. You have to come back. You have to. And he said to them, let's go to the next town so that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. I came out because the Father has more for me than just this place. The Father has more for me. He has for me to preach and to teach the gospel in all the area. And you may not get it yet, Simon, but what you're going to understand is that by me going and preaching the word to the masses, that will care for everyone because then more and more people will be raised up to care for the individuals. Does that make sense? And Jesus, by getting away, he connects with his father. And curiously, the disciples hadn't done that after a long day. They just saw the immediate needs right now, right here. We got to do this. Jesus saw the big picture because he had connected again with his father, got perspective and said, okay, I understand that, but I have some limitations here in my humanity. And so I'm going to go do what the father calls me to do that would have the greatest impact for the greatest amount of time. And that's what he does. And you and I must learn to rest and connect with Jesus to get direction, to get instruction for how we ought to live our lives for what he would have for us. Not just being compelled by all the urgent needs that are in front of us, but by the long-term picture of what he has to accomplish in our lives, to do ministry and to love other people and to see the kingdom built. Well, after this, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons and I believe he takes these four with him for a couple months together out doing ministry. And let me just close with this. Jesus says it like this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and then all of these things will be added unto you. He also talks earlier in Matthew in chapter 6 about Why do you worry so much about tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Trust the Father. He'll provide everything you need. And Jesus models this for us over and over and over. Rather than being focused so much on my personal needs, on on what's urgent, what's right in front of my face, I need to get my eyes on the Father, my eyes on Jesus, so that, that he would fill me, he would restore me, he would 
give me rest. He would empower me then with direction for what the next step is. So what are you doing in a busy day? Are you, are you getting away? Are you finding refreshment in Jesus Christ? He is your rest. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. Um, it's a lot to cover this morning, uh, just as we, we study uh, Jesus' life over the course of, of a couple years and, and um, to look at his first call of these four and them dropping their nets to follow him and uh, to be trained for ministry and then to be thrown right into the midst of it and to get a feel for what it's like and uh, to get a feel for uh, the exhausting nature sometimes of, of caring for people. As we do that, Father, and as we see uh, Jesus' authority over everything spiritual in our lives and in our community and in our church, and as we see Jesus' authority over everything physical, that, that he can care and meet every single need we have. As we rely on those things, help us then to pull away and rest so that we'd be refocused again over and over in the midst of, of, of an exhausting life at times. You promised to be our rest. You promised to be our help. You promised to be our hope. Give us, give us reminders to seek you and, and to, to lean into that promise and to trust you. Father, we pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.